Welcome to Around the Carousel, circling our industry with the OABA, the official podcast of the Outdoor Amusement Business Association, with your host, OABA's president and CEO, Greg Chico. Today, we are joined by Sydney Hoy from the Indiana State Fair. Now reach on up and grab that brass ring as we go Around the Carousel. Well, hello, Cindy. How are you doing today? Oh, my gosh. I'm doing great. And thank you for this honor to be with you on a podcast. I love it. Yes, I'm looking forward to our conversation. So just so so our audience knows, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on your history and how you wound up becoming the executive director of the Indiana State Fair? Well, um, just by luck um, that I've had this opportunity. And I, I... you know, just kind of one of those uh, people that just got um, got really interested in the fair business. Um, I, I was a 4-H agent, so small little county in Wisconsin, um, and then had opportunity to um, help manage a small little fair up there. And then um, I, I also was a 4-H'er um, in Indianapolis. This is where I grew up in Indianapolis, but um did an internship at the Texas State Fair. I mean, it's just kind of one of those people that fairs got in their blood. I, yeah. I worked at the Wisconsin State Fair for almost four or five years and then had an opportunity to come back to Indiana as the marketing director, which I did for 17 years. And then, again, just very honored and grateful to have a chance to run this organization for the last 17 years. So, yeah. So, I, I always you know, say no, nobody ever goes to college to be a fair manager, but that's, right? not, really, but that's not really true anymore because out in California, they're teaching people to be fair managers. But um, it is it is kind of the way our industry works is you just kind of somehow fall into management and fairs. Yeah. That's, that's for mean, sure. Yeah, my my background was in, believe it or not, uh, education um, with, a, with a little bit of Bachelor of Fine Arts. So I have a little creative background, which I think applies really well to our industry. You have to always be creative. You have to think about how we're teaching people, how we're dealing with a customer. And so um, I think it applies. Um, at least it I'd does. like to say that, right? <laughs> Listen, I ran a family garden center for, for 10 years before I got into this. So you never you that never works. know where you're going. <laughs> no, that works too, right? <laughs> yeah. So just um, the Indiana State Fair has a really storied history. Can you just give us like a really quick background on how it came to be and, and where it is today? Yeah, it's the sixth oldest uh, state fair, and um, in 1852 started. It, it kind of took the format of what I would like to describe. I think the format of world's fairs because it traveled to different locations throughout the state, and then finally landed um, downtown in Indianapolis. And that location turned out to be a Civil War camp. Um, believe it or not. And then um, eventually the the Agriculture Society bought property at this location in 1891. And so 1892 is the first time we were on this campus. And I would say that the history of this place has been um, accelerated by legislators and politicians who've continued to reinvest in this campus, knowing how important it is. Um, as a signature landmark, not only for the city of Indianapolis and driving the economy for for Indianapolis, but also just as a signature element to showcase agriculture and youth. 
And um, again, a lot of credit, I think, to governors and legislators over the course of our history that felt that it was important to continue to reinvest in this property and this institution. Um, and that's a real short of it. I I, I also would, would say, Greg, that um, the way I describe the Indiana State Fair and our, our assets, um, there are a couple ways. One, during the fair itself, I think we, we really elevate education and youth. We have a very large uh, animal competition, and we elevate 4-H to a level that I don't think is replicated at other state fairs, so it's unique here. I think also our nod to celebrating the old time, I'm using quotation marks here, the old way of of agriculture, we elevate that with this this wonderful partnership with Purdue Ag Alumni and Pioneer Village. And I think those two elements sets us a little bit apart from others. Uh, The property is, I mean, they built, the first thing they built was a mile racetrack and a lot of fairs across the country have eliminated their tracks. We have kept ours um, and we continue to train standard animals on, on the property. And then the other thing I think that sets us apart and just a little bit different um, strategy maybe is that we have really pushed very hard to um, have a multi-use strategy. So we do a lot of, I don't know if you want to call them non-fair events or in- interim events, or um, we call them fairgrounds events, um, do over 400 on the campus. And it's wow. it's gotten to the point where it's 50% of earned revenue is wow. by hosting these year-round events. So um, we've really elevated the use of the the buildings and the property in that fashion. And you've been very fortunate that your legislature has continued to invest in the in the fairgrounds. I know you have a new building coming online next year, or it's going to be built next year, and um, that's that's critical to the to the infrastructure to be constantly rebuilt. So that's it great. It is, and I think it is important again to just say a huge thank you to Indiana and what they have um, prioritized as far as the campus. And it's, I mean, again, it's tough out there throughout the country and the the county fairs, um, their capital assets and and state fairs. And um, we've just been very fortunate here. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as every other fair manager in the country has, you have a very diverse base of constituents that you serve. But let's focus for a minute on the mobile concessions and, and the mobile amusement business. And I mean, what's your perspective on the, on the future of, of those two industries? They're kind of the same, but there might be some segmentation. I think it's, I think the future's bright. Um, I think we need to continue to just like fairgrounds, continue to invest in our assets and our capital. Um, so think of fairgrounds as investing in their facilities and barns and uh, arenas and so forth. Um, just like the mobile concession business, they got to continue to invest in capital. Um, wh- what did mom always says that it takes it takes money to make money. I mean, we, we all have to have that perspective of investing in in our assets. And I think that'll be really important continuing to go forward because customers' expectations are not like they used to be, right? They demand fast, quick, um, clean, properly maintained. Um, and, and I look at our at our own cells as as fairgrounds and we we have to 
we have to understand what those customers' needs are, and those will continue to change and elevate. But um, but I but I believe our, our future is really bright. I mean I, I mean I can't imagine a fair without our 120 mobile concession stands or our wonderful North American Midway uh, entertainment that is. Um, and it's now it's kind of interesting. We we used to, um, Greg, we used to have just one area for the carnival and that was it. There was kind of a perimeter around that. And now we've dribbled pieces and parts of um, that um, quote unquote carnival midway throughout the property. And it's really been kind of little sparkly moments that happen across the campus. And I mean, I think that's an evolution that I that I'm really excited about how how we look at that a little bit differently than we did before. Yeah, I always say that the, the model is changing because it used to be when the Midway came to town, okay, there's your parcel of land, go do your thing and we'll pick the check up on the way out. And that, and that model just doesn't work anymore. You're right. You have to, you have to integrate. Um, it can't just be the carnival on one side of the equation and the fair. It, it really needs to be a, a formulation and a plan um, and to maximize the opportunity for the guests. There's, there's no question about that. And it's the other irony in our industry is, and it's the same exact irony that happens in the fair industries. What do you like best about the fair? Well, the tradition, the things that happen every year. And what do you like least about the fair? Well, it's always the same. So right. it's so it's it's important that we, we work as partners with the with the food concessions, with the carnival, with the fair, with the ag um, to innovate, to make the old presentation look fresh, I guess is really the, the name of the game. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's always where I think that's is absolutely where we need to to be in that continue to evolve the product i i just was at a um a, a tourism meeting and they were talking about i thought i'd share these with you i thought it might be interesting greg but sure um so this these are um destinations throughout the world and one of the most important trends or themes was how government community and industry need to align together and they really talked about the number one strategy for this is content creation. So why do you want to go to why do you want to go to London? And what is what is special about London? Same same theory applies to fairs and carnivals. I mean, we've got to continue to have that content creation, just something just a little bit different and new to to feed that customer and that you know, that tourism um, person, person who's deciding about their destination through tourism. Exactly. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing I thought was really interesting learning from this um, is that they talked about this personal enrichment. And I think that's where fairs strive and on personal enrichment and well-being. Um and that's a little the the well being part is a little tough for all of us in our business since um, since we like to deep fry things and put things on sticks. But um, but I think that's really interesting from a tourism that it is really personal, and I think fairs again shine in that uh, enrichment light. It's one of those few places that you can have multi generations of people that actually gather together in in a live format and interact with other people and put a smile on your face. And it becomes part of the tradition of people's lives. And I don't know if you notice, you'll see a lot of people taking social media pictures and sending them, but they're not necessarily using their social media so much when they're on the grounds because they're 
having a real experience, which is something right. that's a rarity these days. Well, yeah. I mean, people have always said now, you know, what what are you going to reinvent with technology? I'm like, I don't, I don't think that that's going to drive our customer. Our customer wants to put down technology in a way. Um, yes, keeping the photos and and taking um, examples of the memories that they've created, but but the interfacing of touching and experiencing things together as a unit, whatever that unit is, um, that that's where I think we shine. Yeah, as Wayne McCary, I'm going to steal his line that he always stole from Coke was, it's the real thing. And it still yeah. is. And it continues to be, you know, to this day, which is. I'm going to write great. that down. It's, okay. It works. I've used it many times. Cindy. <laughs> so let's, let's turn for a moment. I know you just ran your first fair post pandemic and we've got all that stuff behind us. Um, but what did you and your staff learn about operating in the new normal? And what do you think was your biggest success and, and what were the biggest challenges? Because we still have some fairs out there that haven't run yet this year. Yeah. So I, I would just say, I mean, all of us in this business, um, all of us have developed, I'm going to say a hundred different plans of what your, the fair or the experience is going to be like, right? So in May, um, we finally got clearance on no restrictions. And so we pulled that plan out of the hat and said, okay. But as like even Jerry Hammer talks about the runway to get started, there were certain things that plans that we had already in place that we couldn't go back on. Um, I think, I think we learned that um, it's nice to have a larger runway than just three months before the fair to plan. Um, but I, I think there are a couple things that, um, that we learned is that the customer was just grateful to be back. Uh, maybe not all the customers came back uh, for health reasons or um, some of the exhibitors in our commercial area didn't happen because there were still restrictions in place for their companies to travel and so forth. But um, I think the just the I think the lesson we learned um, and that we have celebrated as a team are these small little wins. You know, we would celebrate the fact that we had 30, 3,500 people that attended the road rodeo and it was the largest crowd we've had a little celebration that we had. So um, really it was not taking everything. I mean, this past year just was not taking everything for granted and just being grateful that the customer was back and the customer was happy and the experience was safe. And um, so that, I think that's the biggest takeaway. We, um, there were, again, some things like, for example, I'll get in the weeds a little, we had a offsite shuttle um, a bus system that would pick people up from a parking lot and shuttle them into the fairgrounds. It was a, um, and it was free and we couldn't figure out how to socially distance that shuttle or if we were doing masks. And so early on, that was one of the adjustments we made and we canceled that free shuttle. And remarkably, we heard no negative feedback about it. Um, and so that is something that we learned from this crazy year and we're going to apply going forward. There's not a need for it right now. And so we'll just pivot and do something a little bit different. So, well, it's amazing. It's amazing the changes that have been made in our industry and blamed on COVID. There's no question about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know what, you're, you're not alone in, in, in a learning curve of making change that you thought you couldn't make, um, and, and get a positive spin off of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. There's there's always a learning 
opportunity and COVID gave us a lot of them. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no sure question did. about it. Yeah, I think one of the big, the biggest changes we made and for a number, so when we, back in the day, we were a 12-day fair. Um, what happens in Indiana is probably doesn't happen, um, well, I know it doesn't happen in some states, but in Indiana, school starts um, the end of July. So, um, and the, our county fairs in Indiana are very important to us. They're a feeder system for this these 4-H sure. projects and so what we did is we went to the 17-day format um, where we picked up another weekend so that uh, we gave 4-Hers an opportunity to show on the weekends instead of having to decide between going to school or being able to show their livestock or project at the fair. So um, again, what we did last year, we had a modified fair last year. We just had the 4-Hers with their livestock uh, animals that competed on the property in 2020. And we did it over four weekends. And we said, why don't we replicate that model? And so this year, this year's fair, also to stretch out the crowds, it wasn't an effort to grow more people. It was an effort to not be as populated on those heavy days. So we picked up another weekend and we took Mondays and Tuesdays off. Um, kind of what I would call the California model or the West right. Coast model. And it worked very, very well for us. We were um, very happy with, with how it worked um, from a OABA standpoint, from the concessionaires, the feedback, the major concessionaires, the feedback that I've heard was, was extremely positive. They were, they were grateful um, because of some of the labor challenges. They were able to spread out some, uh, some of their labor. They were able to do special things for their employees on the days off. They were able to go back in their units, clean, um, really refresh. Actually, some of them were working on their concession trailers at that time. Um, when we started uh, thinking about this format, our first call was to Danny Houston, North American, and say, what do you think? Are you okay with this? And he said, it works fantastic in Miami. And he said it worked just great. And he was all for it. Also gave a chance for his employees to rest, take a deep breath. And so we're, we're, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep this format another year and, and see how it goes. Yeah, probably only it'll only grow in the future, even though you don't think you're going to get growth, you'll wind up getting growth out of it. But it is a huge help in the labor standpoint, because people need two days off. And why not just have them all together when you can shut down? And um, I'm sure your staff had probably a little withdrawal. I mean, I, I can't after being in the, in the industry so long, I couldn't imagine stopping for two days and then going back to work. But it seems like it worked out pretty well for you guys. Oh, yeah. Actually, for staff, and this is something that um, I'm going to just call it COVID fatigue. Um, and I, I don't know what, what else to call it, but it, it was very difficult for the team to get ramped back up at a fever pitch, um, which is what's required for the fair. So to give them a chance to be home with their kids, to go to the grocery store, to do their laundry, whatever that was on a Monday and Tuesday. Um, yeah, and you're, you're right, Greg, probably one of the, the funniest things that happened was just convincing people they did not have to come in on Monday and Tuesday. I'm like, no, stay away, you know. Yeah. So we, uh, we started out with a process that everybody had to have a wristband if they came on a Monday and Tuesday and they had to be on a, on a spreadsheet. And 
you know, come the second week, they're like, oh, wait, this is kind of nice. I don't have to be there. So yeah, I call it being a civilian again for a couple yeah, of right. days. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're, we're kind of coming down the home stretch here, Cindy. And um, you're one of my favorite fair managers and you're, you're really plugged in with with the industry and the allied industries. And we're trying to make the OABA a little bit more relevant for our members. What suggestions do you have perhaps that would help the OABA ramp up and, and be a better association for its members? Oh my goodness. Well, I think it's, it's, um, it's things that you're already doing, Greg. I mean, like this pod communication, right? It's all about communicating, sharing best practices, sharing ideas. So your format of this podcast and other things where you are getting insight and ideas and sharing those, I think is the most important continued to continue to go forward. Yeah, we're certainly not going to worry about the $5 discount on paint anymore as a membership benefit, although that still exists. But I think you're right. I think we, we need to we need to reach. I mean, uh, Marla and I have gained a lot of success in, in cross-promoting things with the IAFE. And um, like I said earlier, it's a, it's a different business model now. And, and we all have to work at understanding each other's business model and, and, and cooperating with one another. And, you know, if it means adjusting hours or numbers of rides or whatever it is, it, it has to be a, a partnership nowadays. And um, I think everyone started, I think COVID helped us all realize that a little bit more. So I think COVID uh, had us communicating better together, industry together. Um, I know even for us in Indianapolis, I mean, we were on a weekly call with all the other attractions, all the other venues. So this kind of format, like what you're doing right here and just being able to reach out and communicate, I think, is brilliant. And I think more of that should happen going forward. Yeah, it was amazing because we would have some Zoom calls and, you know, we we never really did that kind of messaging before, but we would have 60 people on a call, 60 members. Um, First of all, they had, they were all shut down, so they really didn't have anything else to do anyway. Um, But it was, it was interesting based on the topic um, the input and the feedback we would we would get that we just never had before. So, um, yeah, technology is definitely going to play a role in the, in the future and and content, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, just really uh, just trying to move the ball forward. That's all yeah. there is to it. And uh, I mean, in sharing together in a format that's maybe different than what you and I are used to. We're used to a convention or going to a meeting or. You know, but this this kind of format, it, it does work. There are some advantages to it. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming to the bewitching hour. Cindy, is there okay. anything else anything else you want to add or no? I I would just add this, and I don't know where this goes from from here, but I but I really think the the environment and sustainability is something that we all need to start talking about more. I mean, our business is plastic cups and, and plastic straws and refillable things. And, you know, I, I just, I see that on the horizon. And I think that is something that uh, we collaborate with more OABA, IAFE and on how do we move that needle with the environment and sustainability. And, um, you know, as, as we look at, um, you know, the, the world that's approaching us, I think that's something that we should spend some time on. I agree. And there's, and there's other segments of society that have 
concerns that are environmental yep. as well. And uh, I, I would totally agree with that. Um, and so we def- definitely have a carbon footprint because we <laughs> travel with diesel trucks across the road. But um, right. right the re- I think the reality and sustainability is, is an important issue. And yeah. um, we just need to figure it out for, for our industry. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, while we're figuring that out, Greg, let's figure out labor, too, because I think that is uh, that's here to stay. So. Yeah. So, I mean, most of the country is experienced labor problems now. We've been experiencing them for 15 years. And- I know. And we continue to we continue to batter at Washington, and we make headway every year, but we're still not where we need to be, and uh, and it's 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 even magnified even more so be, because of the of the pandemic and the high unemployment levels. But um, I think there's going to be a rebalancing there of of some sort somewhere down the road. There has to be because we can't grow as an economy if we don't figure out our labor situation. So, and I think on all these challenges coming up, we got to collaborate. We've we've got to work together. There's no no longer like silos because silos right. are not going to work. We got to collaborate. So that would be my takeaway from for the future is and, just and, more and more. And we have, I mean, I, I think most people are aware that the OAA, OABA basically lent our lobbyists to the IAFE yep. to get the Fair Rescue Act moving forward, which just learned last night that it passed the Ag Committee. So now yeah. it's, it's heading to the full floor of, of uh, the House. Um, but those are the kinds of things we have to do because mm-hmm. without without fairs, a lot of carnivals don't have places to play. Now, there, there's carnivals that, that don't play fairs. So I have got some static about that. Yeah. But, the re- but the reality of it is, that particular avenue had a realistic chance of passing because everyone in the world is, or everyone in the country is out there with their hand out looking for money. Um, but with the USDA programs we already have in place, there was a pathway to fund that. And right. uh, it's a little, it's late, but uh, it's still moving forward. And, you know, we still have fairs that are canceling in this country every day. It's, it's, it's pockets. It's crazy. Um, yeah. But but we definitely need some relief, and and we're working really hard on it. And uh, I think Marla and her team and her members have recognized the value of of lobbying legislature legislators um, because they really you guys are the are the grassroots of your communities. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fairs are great, but I mean the carnivals are great, but they travel around. It's it's the fairs that have the leverage, and everybody knows that every politician likes to go to the fair. And well, maybe you can't kiss babies anymore, but you can take your picture with them at <laughs> least. So, um, so it's it again another lesson learned from from COVID. So. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Greg, with OABA. You guys are doing awesome work. Uh, appreciate all the effort, and look forward to talking to you more. Absolutely, Cindy. Thanks for your time. Thank you for joining us for Around the Carousel, an OABA production. To learn more about the Outdoor Amusement Business Association and its mission to promote and preserve the growth of the outdoor amusement industry through leadership, advocacy, and education, please visit us at oaba.org and join us to put the OABA to work for you.